0: Hello, heroes. I'm Hannah Schaefer.
1: And I'm Evan Rowland.
0: Welcome to Design Doc. We were scavenging in the remains of the capital when the ground beneath us gave way. The cracks in the stone moved faster than our shouts of warning, and we grabbed helplessly for a hold that wasn't there, tumbling downwards into darkness. Falling, we gasped at the stale air, and our hollow shouts echoed in a way suggesting a cavernous space. Then, a smashing of wood and flutter of paper. The impact failed to stop our descent, and we were no longer falling but sliding down an avalanche of books and splintered shelving. And finally, we'd reached the cavern's floor. Now, squinting into the dim light, our eyes adjust slowly. It's not as dark as it seemed when we first dropped from the sunlight. Surrounded by the remains of the ceiling and wooden victims of our fall, we see beyond them tidy stone walls and high oak beams. We've fallen into the center of a large circular structure, with arched stone doorways surrounding us in all directions. Above, we can see higher levels ringed with wooden railings, some broken and cracked from our fall. All around us is a gentle rain of drifting paper, punctuated with an occasional sloughing of books, which tumble from the higher levels like sheets of melting snow dislodged from a roof. Far, far above us, a small bright hole marks our entrance. Though none of us are strangers to decay, the destruction of these books makes us wince. They're exceedingly well-preserved, and each unique from the others, sewn by hand, not machined. Many of them lie open or shredded, revealing the handwritten words within, but the writing makes us feel uneasy— giving the same queasy feeling as crossing a high bridge and glimpsing the long fall below. Picking ourselves up, groaning and sore from the fall, we notice, finally, a circle of words engraved around the edge of the ceiling. Demarking the beginning and end of the phrase is a symbol, a sort of compass rose, but with points that split off and spread like the roots of a tree. We spin around in place to view the engraving, which reads... In every world, a mind. In every mind, a world. Woven all from the thread of words.
1: The intro you just heard is a first draft of how Questlandia will open. This episode is about turning theory into practice. We're trying to make an actually playable version of the game by two days from now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Hopefully playable. hmm Yeah.
1: So at this point, we've scheduled our first playtests of the game. We sent out a request to our friends asking if they'd be willing to be part of a campaign where the rules were changing as we play as we brainstorm how this will go. And everybody said yes.
0: We have really nice friends.
1: <laughs> so we have so many players now that we split them into two groups, and we're going to be having alternating groups playtesting the game every week.
0: So we're going to have like these bi biweekly playtests with a Monday. One group is Mondays, the other group is Tuesday. And so one group will do every other Monday, the other group will do every other Tuesday, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah good friends
1: really good friends
0: yeah
1: <laughs> we're recording this on a saturday the first play test is monday by the time you're hearing this we will have had that play test
0: <laughs> but the thing is it's gonna come out after our friend our friends won't have a chance to listen to it and know how little we have prepared for them two days before the game
1: yes this can <laughs> be <laughs> hello friends <laughs>
0: suckers <laughs> So it's funny because when we planned for this episode, we have this note that's like, how are we going to make this into an actual playable game in a week? But now we're recording it and it's like, how are we going to make this into an actual playable game in two days?
1: Mm-hmm. The process is the same. It's just going to be a little bit more frantic.
0: Condensed. Yes. Yeah.
1: Condensed. Right,
0: <laughs> Condensed is the word yeah. we like to use. Panicked. <laughs> All right. So my question for you then, Evan, is what prep have we done so far?
1: So scheduling the playtests, very important prep. Check. Yeah. We've talked over basically the entirety of what we want this session to feel like, how we want to structure the game, how the story will progress, and how the players hopefully will feel by the end of it.
0: Is session zero is that a game term that people use? Is that a thing? Or am I making that up? I don't know. Is that like a D what do you call the like the D and D prep session? Boring. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, it's not really even gonna be our session zero because our hope is that you are playing from the moment you are Are creating your characters that you know you were immersed in play but i'm getting a little ahead of myself so our our session boring Mm -hmm. will not actually be boring ideally but we're planning for this like you know the the introductory session of the game
1: so what do we still need to do
0: (laughs) (laughs) everything almost well so this is what this episode is about, and this episode isn't just us panicking and laughing at the fact that our friends are signing on for something totally unplanned. Because I don't think that's true, and and that's, that is what we're going to be, be like talking 30% about. Thirty
1: percent max.
0: Well, <laughs> <laughs> so what we've done so far, we've scheduled the play test. We've talked about what the opening scenes of the game might look like. Uh, And we've talked about the scope of session one and like what this introductory session should ideally include.
1: Mm -hmm. So what's next?
0: Make the game. But not really.
1: We need to get the details of how the opening scene plays out and who's in control during that. What everybody at the table is up to. We need to make character sheets. We need to... Talk about what players are able to do at this table, and that'll be both in the library that their characters find themselves in, and then in the world that they'll create. Then finally, we have to end the session, and hopefully in an intentional way, and not just like, you know, everybody panics and runs. (laughs) Yeah.
0: End it, not friends anymore. (laughs) Okay, so we're going to break that down a little more. And this is also going to be an opportunity to catch folks up a little bit to some of the stuff we've been talking about in previous episodes, like talking about including meta plot in this game. So we'll be going over again, like what it means for players to be playing characters in the library versus playing characters exploring these worlds inside books inside the library.
1: We mentioned that we have a basic outline of how we want this first session to play. So You're a bunch of characters who have ended up in this library. During the first session, we meet the characters that you're playing as, and you navigate this library. You start exploring it, and you have the opportunity to create a short world, a very short world-building experience that you dive into to introduce you to the idea of exploring these worlds. And then it spits you back out pretty quickly, and we close the session mulling over the new insights and possibilities that this world has opened up.
0: Yeah, so you're these junk poets who stumble upon this library. And unlike, you know, original Questlandia, where you are these people in this weird world who are watching your collapse of your kingdom in this moment in time, in this first session of Questlandia sequel, the junk poets have just like this glimpse of a world And they don't actually have the skills at this point to really interact with that world in any meaningful way. It's going to be confusing. It's going to be chaotic. Maybe it'll be scary. uh, But they can't really do a lot in this world beyond just be sort of shocked and awed that they've found themselves witnessing a world that is beyond them. And then, yeah, and it pops them back out. And that's going to be a good way right now that we're thinking to introduce to sort of the tone and mechanics of the game while also, you know, having people feel like they're not doing this sort of boring prep session.
1: Right. The goal is to jump right into play, just about.
0: (laughs) So one of the first things that we're going to be trying to figure out that we don't actually really need to know for sure yet, but it would be nice, is like, what is the justification for starting a game with a bunch of characters who have fallen through a roof? (laughs) (laughs) Because players are going to ask, right? Like... Who am I? Why did I fall through a roof?
1: Can I get out?
0: (laughs) (laughs) So do we have answers for those questions yet?
1: When we were brainstorming what we want out of this session and sort of the whole opening of the game, we really wanted the focus to be on the library and the creation of these worlds and getting to know each other. And coming to slowly understand what this structure is and what its history is. So it made sense to lock the characters in.
0: Yeah, doing a little sort of avatar callback where, you know, falling through the roof of the buried library. I don't know if it's buried. We have to figure this out by money. (laughs) Just like some real basic things.
1: Or like mist, which starts with a tumble through an abyss.
0: Oh, yeah, we could do a little Alice in Wonderland. Mm -hmm. And then I think we should probably just give them, like, amnesia for
1: for the (laughs) first session.
0: (laughs) I just don't have answers to some really basic things in in terms of, like, being able to say to the people coming to the table, like, here is why you are here.
1: Well, but that was the goal of coming up with this intro, giving this tour guide style intro to the world you're in, your scavengers. The floor gave out.
0: I'm curious: is the library like underground? Though, like, what? How could they have fallen through the roof?
1: I think it must be. It's or, buried in, or levels maybe
0: of unless they debris. like do parkour.
1: Well, of course they do. <laughs> you can't be a junk poet if you can't jump over a fence.
0: <laughs> so maybe it's not. Oh, buried beneath debris. Okay. Oh, I like that. Mm-hmm. Good. <laughs>
1: okay. <laughs> so as we were trying to figure out how to. Communicate this situation to players. We realized that we didn't know whether this game has a game master, <laughs> whether there's a GM.
0: Yeah, we were like walking and arguing about how like different parts of the story, and then we were like, "Wait, does this game have a GM?"
1: <laughs> so the original Quistlandia did not. It was a GM-less game where all the responsibilities of creating your worlds are divided between the players. Then we made New Orlandia which again had no GM. Then we made Damn the Man Save the Music, which does have a GM.
0: Which is interesting because I feel like out of all three of the systems, Damn the Man Save the Music has the friendliest system. But part of putting a GM in that game was actually to make it even more, to just like increase the likelihood that a new player would feel safe and comfortable sitting down in that game.
1: When you divide up the responsibilities of the GM. You know, To some extent, that's going to put more weight on everybody at the table because they're going to have to be ready to step up and play different roles.
0: So over the past few days, we've been going back and forth about this a little bit. And we pretty quickly came to the conclusion that we at least want to try designing this as a GM-less campaign game, which I personally don't know of any examples of that. There's, There has to be
1: one. I'm sure that... We have some emails yes, already Yes, please being typed. let
0: us know. <laughs> Tweet to us. <laughs> Email us.
1: The f- main thing that convinced us that we want to keep this as GMless is the immersive feeling of tumbling into this library, being surrounded by these strange books and these new techniques, and everybody at the table being as unsure and as in the dark as their characters. Nobody here is like, you know, has everything in their book and knows how everything's going to play out. Everybody's going to be discovering this together.
0: Yeah, we've set up some really kind of strict design parameters for ourselves in this game. And, And one of the goals being that like every mechanic, we really want to try to have that mechanic have a narrative justification and to serve the immersion. And it seems like not having a GM... I don't know. It's like everybody opening Jumanji together.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So one of the main challenges of this being GMless is that there's nobody to say what's allowed and what isn't, what you're capable of doing, and you know, answer your questions. How high is the hole that we came down? Can we climb up it? If everybody's down there, they have to rely on whatever info we've provided them and whatever rules we give them. But there's nobody who just has the answers. You can just. Say, are, are these books all in our language?
0: And so the game needs to, you know, maybe not in this session, because in some ways we're going to be acting as like semi-GMs at this point. Sure. But the game needs to be able to say really clearly what questions it wants players asking in this introductory session or not. Like the game has to predict the type of things that players are going to wonder are they going to be asking why they were scavenging?
1: The sort of Dungeons and Dragons opening tosses you down and you're in a sandbox and says, do whatever you want. It's like the Bethesda Skyrim style of play, where it's like, there's a whole world here to explore, do whatever you want, and whatever you choose, will roll with it.
0: Yeah, It's interesting that you use Bethesda Skyrim like as an example, because you actually don't open that game doing whatever you want.
1: Yeah, right, they have the- uh,
0: Like there's a pretty guided intro. Yes. That kind of funnels you, you know, into like a a predetermined maze with one solution.
1: Right, that's their compromise. It's like the first thing that people mod out to.
0: And so we have to find a way of doing that though. You know, we have this open world game, but before the players get into the open worlds, we have to find a way of guiding them without a GM or without this, like you know, tutorial level, we have to we have to create a tutorial level in the absence of a GM, similar to Skyrim, except different, because because we don't have Patrick Stewart to voice act, which That's hopefully Oblivion, will change, right? In Oblivion, yeah. okay, <laughs> yes.
1: Gods give me strength.
0: I think that should be like our only stretch goal. <laughs> so Patrick Stewart will narrate your intro. Paragraphs.
1: Wow. That's
0: yeah. really Yeah, if he, I really if he did a one. reading
1: of the intro that you just read,
0: oh, I got chills. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Star date. So we have to establish the ground rules of what players are allowed to do in this library. And it actually aligns with our goals to not have them be able to do too much in there because it makes it a huge difference when you create a world and suddenly you have enormous control over everything.
0: I don't know why you're not biting at this amnesia plot.
1: I don't think you need to have amnesia. I think it's okay to know your 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 past. You have your character sheet and it's describing who you were and what you're bringing to the table.
0: It's just so classic though.
1: Oh man. <laughs> <laughs> I just
0: I feel like, you know, I feel like bringing back amnesia
1: as a trope. Bringing that- it back. I don't think it ever left.
0: <laughs> you don't think so? You don't no. think people have realized that they're not allowed to use amnesia? I th- I guess probably you're
1: right. Everybody has amnesia. <laughs> I think it's okay to have a history and just to be trapped and interested. If your motives are to explore these books, then what does it matter if you know that, you know, you're also good at hammering knives or whatever?
0: Hammering knives. <laughs> Smithing. Oh, <laughs> and parkour. Yes. Mm-hmm.
1: In the outside world, I was a master parkourist.
0: (laughs) So I'm curious whether, and I know we're going to answer this question before the first session, but I'm just sort of like doing a little live design here. I'm curious if the characters are supposed to know each other before falling into this library together.
1: I imagine they do.
0: Or some do, or all do. I don't know.
1: Maybe to different extents. Like, I think it would be fine for some relationships to be strong. He's my brother. And others to be more like, yeah, we go out on scavenging trips together.
0: Are we going to have them building out those relationships as part of the first session? Which has been a part of, I think, every single... I I don't think it was a part of Noirlandia, but in Damn the Man, Save the Music, and in Questlandia, you are establishing those links when you sit down at the table.
1: That's what I was thinking. I'm wondering if there's an even quicker way to do it than going around the circle and everybody explaining.
0: Yeah, that would be nice.
1: Maybe it's... On the character sheet, there's a few options to choose that just name drop each other even or have questions for you to fill me in. Like, you know, I really rely on blank. I can't stand the voice of blank.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So I feel like that transitions nicely into the question of like, how how do you choose your junk poets? Because that's kind of a thing that is a role-playing-y thing that you would pick your characters or pick a character sheet. A playbook, Mm -hmm. whatever you want to call them, when you sit down to the first session.
1: In Questlandia, you're generating these characters from a few randomizers, and then you pick one of these half-formed characters and just sort of mentally flesh them out and give them more of a history. But for this, not even just for this game, but for specifically the junk poets of this game, we've talked about giving more detail to what you're choosing, having sort of fully made character sheets for the different characters that fall into this library that you're choosing between that give you a baseline of, you know, their history, what kind of skills they might have or might eventually gain, and give you a lot to work with immediately.
0: One idea that I'm really excited for that we've been talking about is that, you know, with the junk poets, you're going to we're going to cast the players in with these sort of pre-filled character sheets. And when they start to build their own worlds, they will then be using the same character sheets for the characters in these worlds they're creating. Um, but now they'll be filling them in themselves. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really cool because it's like that starts to really get it, this idea of like, how can we. How can we remove a GM from this game and have a really solid tutorial level? And that kind of feels like a good way. Like this is what a filled character sheet looks like. You are literally playing it. And now you get to create it after a session of seeing how to sort of like work with the information on this sheet.
1: And this sheet will hopefully serve part of the purpose of the created world character sheets, which is to describe the world around you as well. So our intro gives just a few morsels of ideas about what the world is like that these junk poets live on. But then when we spread out these character sheets and they talk about what skills they have and what kind of history they have and what they're hoping for, between the lines, there's a lot to pick up about the way people live on their world. The other goal for these character sheets is for them to influence the way each character interacts with the worlds they make. So one junk poet might be an empath who's extremely good at understanding the emotions of the people that they meet in these worlds.
0: And another junk poet might engage with a world through music or somebody might um, engage with a world through the animals in that world. And I think the idea is that that's sort of like Ends up at first being flavor for helping to build your character. And the more you start to really create and interact with these worlds in the books, the more you can, like, enact change. Well, I'm putting a pin in change because that's going to be future episodes about whether you're actually changing these worlds or just sort of witnessing them. Mm-hmm. um. But, but that you can like more powerfully interact with the world through your empathy, through music, through animals, as you kind of gain more knowledge about what it means to be a world weaver.
1: In the original Questlandia, we had the system of ownership where you took control over a certain element of the world, like you're the person in charge of the weather. And in this one, we want that to be more of a personality of your junk poet that you're carrying with you to multiple worlds, but that you can change and branch out and develop further as you gain experience.
0: I'm in charge of dry cynicism, for for example. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So a question that we're going to be exploring in this first playtest is figuring out what the players can and can't do in the library. Because we have these... I think that we have actually a much better sense of what people will be be doing in the Questlandia worlds, like in the book worlds, than what the junk poets can actually do. Because in the book worlds, there are currently, I mean, those mechanics are going to change, but there are currently mechanics for like how to solve conflicts and what to do when you're in trouble and how to resolve a scene. And right now we don't really have mechanics for the junk poet level story. and like the question is how like how freeform is that? And it's a little bit of a tightrope because it can't be so freeform that players won't feel comfortable in this session. Why do I keep wanting to call it a session zero? I <laughs> hate that phrase so much.
1: I'm imagining the scenes in the library being focused on the relationships between the different poets and reflecting on the experiences they've had in the worlds and trying to synthesize those and make sense of them. And maybe that's kind of what session, like things that wrap up our actual sessions, these conversations about what we found, what we learned, and then changing your characters and marking what they're now capable of doing because of the experience.
0: I'm wondering though, like, what are the rules for even getting the players there? Is it sort of rigidly structured where you're going to be looking at a page of the book that's going to say like the first scene in the library is where you fall and you shake yourselves off and you know introduce I guess not introduce each other but talk about your aching bones the second scene is where you go and discover a book like how how do we GMlessly lead the junk poet characters and the players through this first session?
1: I like the idea of. Characters being able to learn about the world only by asking in character questions to each other, saying, You know, are you hurt? Do you think we could climb back up there? But if that person says yes, <laughs> <laughs> wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so I think it would be okay to establish a few ground rules about what you can and can't do in the library that people can keep in mind. But then give them the freedom to fill in the gaps by talking to each other, we can say, no, you can't get out of this library, at least not yet.
0: I want to keep sort of pushing on this, though, because I feel like the question still isn't answered of like, what will lead? If the goal is to get the players to, you know, open up a book to get a glimpse at the first world, or to start writing the first world, what gets them there?
1: And so for that part, we've talked a little bit about having some rules for navigating this library, room by room, book by book. If you have these ground rules, which are that you can ask questions of each other, and you can answer in character, and what you say will be true, and there's a few ground rules you can't escape, and then finally we provide a table or a rule or a page that just explains... This is how you get around the library. This is what it's like to move through it.
0: I don't actually like the rule of having to ask questions only in character.
1: Well, I don't mean like forbidding other kinds of questions.
0: <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to clarify. Yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, I mean, it's like some games actually do that, and it they're not games that I can play. They're too anxiety-inducing. Mm -hmm. Like a game that asks me at all times to be the perfect role player, because I'm not.
1: Yeah. I mean, (laughs) I think the third person voice will always be fine too.
0: Just making sure. Yeah. (laughs) Okay.
1: So I'm imagining that it might be enough to set up the rules for how you can learn more by talking to each other and how you can move and explore the library and what kind of things you'll find there by following the the mechanics of this like navigation aid.
0: Can I talk about that navigation aid cuz I'm proud of it? Yeah. I had come up with this idea the other day about taking some of the world building that you do in Questlandia and distributing it into like this sort of Dewey decimal type of navigation through the library where you provide players where everybody has like kind of a map of the library organized by different subjects and different parts of the library and then those different subjects go into these different rooms and those different rooms branch into sort of branch into these micro subjects so it's like maybe you have oceans and then you have seahorse and kelp I don't know (laughs) <laughs> Bo- boats. Um, and based on the early decisions that the players make about which room to go to together they will already have done some world building about the features and norms of this world without even knowing that they're doing it so they will have collaboratively made a choice about like this is the type of world that we first are going to see
1: mm-hmm. so the physical act of moving through this library is also the creative act Of designing the first worlds you'll explore. It's cool. So you navigate through the library this way. You arrive at the Kelp room. And you pick up a book. And you glance at it. There's this room. It's full of books. A lot of them are written. There's also some blank books. A pen and paper are out. You pick up one of the pre-filled books. And you're immediately hit with like a wave of nausea. You find that looking at these books that have already been written about worlds is a kind of horrifying experience.
0: Yeah, we have this fictional or this this fiction idea that interacting, that the junk poets will discover that interacting with a world book that's already been written is sort of the the golden compass equivalent of like touching somebody else's demon. That like you are peeking into a life that is absolutely not yours to to play in.
1: You experience a loss of self. You feel like the presence of the stranger, whoever wrote this. The idea is that maybe eventually you can read these other books and gain something from them. But the idea is that in this world, creating your own books and writing up your own world is gentler on the psyche
0: (laughs) and i do think it's cool to explore this idea of later maybe being able to engage with worlds that aren't your own because it asks some neat questions i don't know what those questions are yet but i feel like they're neat
1: and i mean we even talked a little bit about those worlds being like the online shared worlds of other players Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. this might be eventually a place where you can go and get resources from people who've played the game and and bother to upload some of their information about it. For
0: $5.99 a month, yeah. you get access.
1: <laughs> and then you'll get their loot boxes.
0: So, you know, for that, we'll be using the in-app purchase model of Questlandia. Mm-hmm. We wouldn't be, would we be the first role-playing game, the first tabletop role-playing game to try to utilize in-app purchases? Definitely not. No way. No way. <laughs> I think I'm just too innocent to see where it's happening other places. Or
1: too innovative. Uh, mm. Mm. We'll see. (laughs) So this is another rule of the world. It might be there along with you not being able to leave the library, right? And I'm not quite sure how to communicate that. It's fun if it's a little bit of a surprise. There's all these books. What happens when we read them? Maybe there's a way to present these ground rules in a way that just is the question There's a question written, can I leave the library? And the answer is obscured. It's like, when it comes time to answer this, turn to this page. Or (laughs) scratch and sniff. (laughs)
0: Smells like a pickle. (laughs) Don't know how to interpret that answer, actually.
1: I think we're in a pickle. Uh, We can't escape.
0: True. (laughs) There's some really, really innovative mechanics here.
1: (laughs) Let's push the envelope. It could be in an envelope. It could be you unseal the envelope.
0: Oh, and there's like a little pickle sticker.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. We're keeping the pickles.
0: (laughs) I just, I have this very strong memory of like being a kid. And like having, you know, in, in kindergarten, having these letter books and the S letter, the focus of the entire book was scratch and sniff. And it came with scratch and sniff pickle. pickle. It, well, it did. It came with scratch and sniff stickers and one of them was a pickle.
1: But wait, the under the S letter?
0: Well, I think it was like smell was the sort of theme of the book. Mm-hmm. Pickle was not under S. It was just smell was the theme. Like there was a rose one, there was an orange, there was a pickle. But like after I would hide the book and take it home so I could sniff the pickle. (laughs) (laughs) It smelled so good. And I would like sleep with the pickle next to my nose so I could scratch it while I fell asleep.
1: (laughs) You see, like this kind of backstory is so much better than amnesia.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So you're a pickle sniffer. (laughs) And you do parkour, (laughs) Mm -hmm. and you're an amateur taxidermist. Go.
1: Wait, but somewhere you mentioned scratching the S, and I'm still trying to imagine what smell (laughs) is hidden under the S.
0: I know. I don't think did I say I don't think you scratched the S. It's just the S is like the theme. It's smell. Each book had like a theme. You know, like T might be touch, and then oh, so T is
1: a a whole different book. A book. Yes,
0: yes. You each each letter had its own book.
1: Okay, I'm going to try to stop thinking of things that start with S and have smells. (laughs) But it's not working.
0: So, Questlandia. Oh, yeah. So you sniff a pickle. You realize you can't get out of the library.
1: You realize you can't get out of the library. You realize that reading other books is difficult and unpleasant. But there's another thing to try. There's this blank page sitting out. There's a pen for writing in it. There's a plumb bob.
0: Captain's log.
1: <laughs> Somehow we get to this idea. We get we get the quill in the hand that we get people writing. It's time to create a world.
0: This is very like I think it's assuming a lot of whatever. We can have find a narrative justification for why somebody panicked and starving trapped in a library would decide to sit down with a quill and write there. these are my final moments. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, they're writing a little journal scrap for the future <laughs> adventures to find. That's what you do when you're dying.
0: I guess in a game, that is what you do. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in Tomb Raider, that's definitely what you do. And so
1: then I'm- they cut short before they finish and there's a little blood splatter, mm-hmm. a little pickle smell. <laughs> 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 okay. So there's a, a bit of a question about how we get people to start writing. That's, Yeah. I don't know. Do you know how? How do you force somebody to write?
0: I think we can figure it out tomorrow, Monday (laughs) night, before people come over.
1: Yeah. It's part of their backstory. When I see an empty page, I write in it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's a nervous tick.
0: People are going to know that we're literally the worst at game design.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's a tricky question. It's legitimately tricky because this is the guided tutorial level and... We don't have a game master and whatever we put in is we're struggling in some of the fundamentals of what it is to be a player in a role playing game where you're naturally you want to grab at the freedom you have to make your own decisions and do what you want. And so trying to funnel people like that is tricky. You want to create a situation where they want to do exactly what you want them to do. Everybody's working together to have the right kind of experience. They can roll to resist writing in this book, and it's a really hard roll.
0: No, they can't. (laughs) That's a joke rule. Roll for cold. Oh, sorry. You had to write. (laughs) Nice try.
1: All right. You succeed for now, but you're still there. The book beckons. Roll again. It's like those RPGs where it's like, Hero, are you ready to embark on the journey? And you can be like, Yes or No. You're like, No? (laughs) Too bad. Steal your soul and answer me true. (laughs) Are you ready? No? (laughs) I mean.
0: (laughs) So you're saying that essentially we need to sort of pull the choose your own adventure model of forcing people to write in this book where no is not actually something they can choose.
1: I mean it can't really be a <laughs> choice. You, you can't play this game like faffing about in the library without doing any world building whatsoever.
0: It'd be like me trying to play Fallout 4 where I never leave my settlement. That's fine. <laughs> it's the game I wanted to play. I mean, definitely it, not the game that they wanted me to play.
1: Except in Fallout 4, they kind of did want to provide for you to do that, right? Like,
0: well, they should have made it better. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we've gone totally off the rails here, but it actually does. I think it gets into a conversation that will have some point about the idea of playing, what it means to play wrong or play right. And that like, sometimes you just have to come into a game with buy-in. Yeah. But a player who doesn't want to enter a world isn't actually playing Questlandia. They're just being an asshole. So I got sort of hung up on this question of the narrative justification, but ultimately I think we can come up with a really simple answer of like, you find a letter, it's from the world weavers. The way that you engage with the library is to write in a book, and that's what you do because you're playing Questlandia.
1: We also mentioned the possibility of changing the framework for how you begin the game so that it's not you roaming through the library, it's you immediately in one of these worlds that you've created. You start, we skip ahead to the part where you've already made the decision to write. You're exploring this world. And then it spits you back out in the library. And your first time in the library is after a world instead of before it.
0: I think I like that. I think I like it better. Yeah. Maybe. Because who do you play when you're in the world? Then are you playing your junk poet? Or then are we immediately introducing an additional character that you're sort of observing in this world?
1: So this gets into a question about what these worlds are like too, right? The idea here, which is new compared to India, is having a glimpse world, like a short, impactful world building experiences where you're just getting a moment of this world, getting a brief perspective of it, seeing things in motion that are only only slightly under your control. And then you get spit back out. It's different from creating an in-depth world where you'll spend you know, multiple sessions exploring it. So coming up with the rules for a glimpse world is uh, on the to-do list for the next couple days. The goal is to make it brief and make it a mix of world building and reaction. So the way you feel as you see something influences the world as it's being made and changes what you're seeing. So it's a sort of tumultuous roller coaster.
0: And we also need rules for how to exit those worlds and exit the session.
1: Right. You create this world, you're battered with experience and the strangeness of it. And especially as the first world you've ever made, you have very little control. You're very much at the mercy of these techniques that you don't fully understand. It spits you back out into the library, and you're left looking at each other being like, whoa.
0: (laughs) (laughs) What just happened?
1: Does anybody else smell pickle? (laughs) The goal is that when you return to the library after this world, you have had a taste of what kind of power is in the writing of these books and what's possible. And it might be the first place where you change your character or delve a little deeper about what you're able to do when you're exploring these worlds.
0: So just to review that framework, Evan, do you want to go over what, what we do have and kind of like what what structure we're working with for these first playtests?
1: So the session starts with an introduction to the world. We have a draft of that. That's what we read at the beginning of this podcast. You choose your characters. You create a glimpse world, or maybe you create a glimpse world, then choose your characters. But in any case, your experience in this world that you've created gives you new possibilities and more control over whatever you decide to make next. From there, now we just need to create the character sheets, create the techniques for creating the glimpse world, and figure out our rules for how you interact with the library and the world that you create.
0: And we have to do that by tomorrow, essentially.
1: So it's fine. It seems like a lot, but it's not actually that bad because this is actually the least important part of the planning for this session because whatever mechanics we're choosing for this are going to be the first draft and they're going to be off. And this playtest is going to be telling us what's working and what isn't. The important thing is that now we have a metric to decide how well they are working we know the feeling that we're going after, the feeling of sort of wonder at the possibilities, the feeling of being trapped, and then set free in a different way after realizing what's possible. So we can look at these and say, are they creating that feeling? Are they making the game flow? Or are characters confused and, you know, sitting down and refusing to write in a book.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Come on, guys. So wish us luck, because by Tuesday when the episode airs, we will have actually done this already. So I guess the luck will be... (laughs) <laughs> uh, wished a bit late, but we do have another playtest the following Tuesday where we're going to be incorporating some of what we've learned. Um, in the meantime, we'll be posting to Twitter, hopefully with pictures from the playtest uh, and talking about what went well and what was weird and what was funny.
1: And our next episode will go into detail about what we learned and what we're going to change, what we ended up trying, and how well the pickle smells went over.
0: And if our friends are still our friends after, <laughs> <you> know, <laughs> forcing them into this little experiment. So your thoughts and questions. We are a little bit behind on answering emails at the design doc email. So thank you for sending emails. We've been spending the past few weeks, um, I know it seems like doing nothing, uh, but we actually have been having a lot of <laughs> conversations around what this first session is gonna look like. Mm-hmm. But we've received some really great emails, and one of the things that I'm really liking is some of the emails are responding to really specific threads of thoughts, like, you know, people are interested in, like, the specific idea of mechanizing bookmarks in the book to create this, like, place to return to in your story. So thank you for listening so closely and thoughtfully.
1: It's really great to hear the responses.
0: Yeah. And even though we're slow to respond right now, we're reading them all and it really makes our day. So thank you.
1: Feel free to add your email to our backlog yes. at designdocpod at gmail.com.
0: Uh, you can also follow us or tweet to us at designdocpod on Twitter, or you can follow us personally. I'm on Twitter at handbandit,
1: And I'm at adronnovel.
0: The Design Doc intro and outro theme was created by our friend, musician Pat King. Thank you, Pat.
1: The Design Doc podcast is hosted by the One Shot Podcast Network. If you enjoy Design Doc, visit oneshotpodcast.com where you'll find other great shows like Campaign. Campaign is an Edge of the Empire actual play show that's nominally about Star Wars, but actually is just three men and a baby in space. Join host Cat Cool as she attempts to tell a coherent Star Wars story around some Chicago improvisers.
0: And if you're liking what we do here, you can head over to iTunes and leave us a review. It helps more people find the podcast, and it fills us with determination.
1: Thanks for listening. We'll see you soon, heroes.